Welcome back to Stories That Matter podcast. As you know, this is a place where we seek to share stories that are big and small in every area of life, stories that will impact the world and hopefully empower others. Please make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. We would love for you to keep tuning in and continuing to like our podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of being joined with Brandy Morris. She has a beautiful, incredible story that she's going to share with us today. And before we get started, I just want her to tell us a little bit about herself. Yeah, thank you so much, Jayla, for having me on this podcast. Really looking forward to sharing my story and, and hopefully empowering and enlightening others. Um, but my name is uh, Brandy Morris. I'm a 26-year-old living in New York City. Um, I'm a former foster youth um, turned orphan. And so I faced a lot of um, adversity young in my life and really have um, turned around and made sure that the, the past is not the present and made meaning out of the, the hard things in life. And so I look forward to speaking more about it today. Awesome. Beautiful. And I love how you start off by talking about that you've been through struggles, but you've actually turned those into positives in your life. And that's what it's all about. It's about learning, you know, through these hard times and coming out on the other side so you can encourage other people. But before we um, get started, I know you mentioned foster care. So that is, that's a topic that we haven't talked about on the podcast yet. Um, and it's a really important topic because there's a lot of children that are in foster care or maybe in foster care one day and they don't even know it yet. So can you talk a little bit about your childhood um, and then how you kind of got into foster care leading up to that? Yeah, definitely. So um, I always like to start the story. It's so funny to me. I'm like, I don't know where to start, but you know, I just like to begin. Like my life was normal, just like you, just like whoever's listening to this, you know, my mother had me, I came out the shoe, you know, screaming the top of my lungs. And then um, it's so interesting because as children, we don't remember so much of our life until, you know, maybe age four or five. And so there are so many like uh, pieces of the puzzle that are missing. And so I remember, you know, when I, I was around five, um, my mom and dad, they were still together, but my mom, supposedly it was a, she was in a coma, which was caused by alcohol is what I, I was told. And so my father stayed until um, she got better. And then one day left us and he came to my house and he dropped off this pink princess chair. And he's like, I'm going to the doctor. I'll be back. And I'm like, why are you dropping off the chair? Like that makes absolutely no sense. And, um, he didn't come back, never came back. Um, and so then my mom seemed okay, you know, for some time. And then one day we just moved in with my grandparents and I think I was so young. I, I really didn't know what was going on. And so, um, we were living with our grandparents while my mother went to rehab, um, for her addiction and um, we would go visit her. You know, it was really nice. She was very artistic. So she would make birdhouses. It was like really sweet to see that piece. 
Um, but then we were too much. So at this point, it's just my older brother and I, um, but we were too much for my grandparents. Um, we fought a lot. And if anyone knows trauma, you know that how you react and how children act are like, it's just from what you're living in. Like my parents, um, it was very abusive. It was fighting all the time. So it's like, of course, as a child, you're going to see those things and think it's okay to act like that. And it's just your trauma response. Um, and so we went into foster care. I was, I think I was around like seven, um, maybe six and a half, seven. And we went to a foster home that was like out of our county, which is very abnormal. And, and this time I, I'm living in New Jersey, but we went to um, a city right by the beach, which was amazing. I was like, well, I guess if I'm in foster care, like it better be here. And it was, you know, a really sweet home. Um, the foster parents were a Christian family. Um, they were married. They had two other foster children. And I think that they adopted the youngest, the son, but there was also um, another girl in there that was about, she had to be a teenager. Um, and I remember the first night was like so lonely and scared. I was so scared um, being in this whole new house with these strangers. And I was used to sharing a room with my brother but in foster care, they separate the genders for good reasons. It makes sense. It protects the both genders for things happening. Um, but it, it was really, it was a tough night the first night. Um, and then from there, you know, our, our experience in this home is really nice. You know, they would take us to church. They would, um, they had a camper out, I think it was in Maryland. So on the weekends, you know, sometimes we would go to the camper in the summers. It was, it was really sweet. Um, and you know, I, I bring up, they took us to church. I, I think that's a, a big, they kind of dropped some breadcrumbs because I think that's how I've made it out. But, um, we would go and I think that's kind of why I believe in God today and kind of have been able to like get through my story and get through these transgressions. Um, and I remember one time, so during this time you have visits with your parents and, um, they're supervised. So we went to a zoo and I remember on the way back, for some reason, our, my mom was in the car, which they shouldn't have done. She shouldn't have seen where we lived. But basically, my brother didn't want to leave. And the foster father like was pulling him out and he hit him with a, a bag of shoes like to get him off. And it was like, it was a horrible night. You know, it, it was a lot of emotions. Um, a lot, you know, got grounded for that, rightfully so. And then um, I think a few months after, you know, it felt like that was summertime. A few months after we went to um, we went back with our mom. It was in October. I remember the night we went back. I remember it was, you know, nighttime. It was the fall crisp and she made us bow tie pasta. And now every day, every time I make that, I think of her. Um, and so things were normal. Um, what? When you're, you, you talked a little bit about your dad in the beginning and he, came and then he left so what have you talking to him since or have or like what what's what happened with that relationship when he left because that's yeah. a that's a crazy that's that's I mean that happens to people often people's parents leave or just you know they can't do it anymore and they're not there anymore but what happened in that regard yeah definitely that's like such a, a big piece of it because it's like where that where is he at this whole time so my father was from Arkansas and went back there and during this time, he never wrote to us. He never called nothing. Um, and the state never looked for him, for him to take us in. And so um, 
a lot of a, a big part of the story and like next steps is that um you know when I go into foster care the second time they kind of reunite me with him and he eventually passes away when I'm in high school so um it's like crazy story but like after my mom passes away, after we go to foster care the second time, um, they find my father, I guess through social security, I don't know. And, you know, I never wanted to move with him. By this time I have two siblings, a younger sister that I'm taking care of. And I'm like, I don't want to be separated from my sister. Like I was her caretaker for the first three years of her life. And, um, but no one wanted me like no one else in my family, the, um, the caseworker made me like give a list of people that I wanted to take care of me and, um, no one would. And so they're like, oh, you have to move in with your dad and shipped me thousands of miles to live with art in Arkansas. And, um, you know, my father su suffered from substance abuse. He was an alcoholic. And so, you know, nothing changed. Um, there was no apology. There was no remorse really. And honestly, like, he sometimes would blame me for like what happened. And I'm like, I'm the child, like you left us like, or blame my mom. And I'm like, again, you left us like you abused her. So it was like baffling to me. Um, and I just think that's like a narcissistic mindset, you know? So that that's crazy. That's and to be a child and going through that, like that can be so triggering emotionally, I'm sure physically just that's a lot to take in. Um, so you guys, it was you and your brother at first and um, your father left. And so then it was you, your brother and your mom. And then it was you moving in with your grandparents because, you know, your mom needed some help herself. And then after that, it was you guys going into foster care. So when you went into foster care that first time, do you um, I know you're talking about that first night in foster care. Do you remember how that was or what that was like? Is it, you know, some from on the outside looking in someone that's never experienced foster care, like how, how was that? How was that feeling of walking into someone else's home and trying to make it your own? Yeah. So I, I think that it's like the best way to describe it is like, imagine like you're outside in the dead of winter with no clothes on, like, and how cold you feel and no one's around. And you feel cold and you're in that desolate and you feel alone and you're like, what the heck? Like, and, and that's how you feel. It's like that instant shock of like, and then you also feel like, who are these people? I can't trust them. Like, I don't know who they are. Um, and, and some foster homes will make it warming and have like a welcome basket. But I mean, this one didn't, you know, it was just, and the people were loving it and really welcoming us in. But it definitely like you just feel like you're a stranger in someone else's home and it feels uncomfortable and it's really hard. And I remember like crying myself to sleep that night and probably, you know, the nights following it because it's like, you know, I, I just moved from to my grandparents. Now I'm in another home like there's no st stability in, in my life. And it's like, well, what's going to happen next? You know, like a, a continuum of that. And with your brother, he's with you too, along, along for this ride, especially in the first foster care situation. So is he younger or older? Who's, who's the big brother, or big sister? Yeah. So my brother is older by, um, by two and a half years. So it was, and it's always been a, a weird dynamic between us. I think like it's been hostile. We always like fault each other, but there was a, a sense of protection. Um, and, you know, it was like, you know, we're in this together in, in the beginning for sure. 
Definitely. Wow. And so then after being in that first foster care home, um, your mom actually got the rights back, got you guys back. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this is after she went through rehab and everything, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so just tell me a little bit about going back. Was it different or was it, you know, still the same or how was that? Yeah. So going back was so it was normal. You know, it was, she was healthy. Um, it, it was happy. And I think that, um, and like part of it, she was pregnant. Right. So hopefully, you know, I, I don't know. And I hope in, that she didn't do any, anything with my sister, you know, in her body, but you know, you never know. And I, I think that kind of gave us a set of normalcy. And so we went back in October and I found out in December, um, she made us put our hands on her stomach and she was like, there's a baby in here. And then we started being part of like, um, those doctor's appointments, which was really sweet. And I remember finding out that the baby is my sister and it was like, you know, the, the best day of my life, especially her being born. Um, and then she was born in March. So it was a lot of, of normalcy for an extended amount of time. And it, it was needed for sure. And then, you know, I, I would say like, there was a point where things started getting like, a little sour, um, and going South probably soon after she was born, you know, a lot of that time I was taking care of her. Um, my mom started working at the local IHOP. And so someone had to watch the baby during that time and kind of fell on me, um, during that. And it's crazy to think, you know, how can an eight year old be, take that motherly, um, figure aspect. And it's like, you know, I think it's just ingrained in us, you know, sometimes when you're put to the plate, you, you do what you have to do to get by. And eight years old, like stepping up as, you know, basically stepping up into a motherly role for your younger sister. That's so young. Yeah. 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 It was, it's truly crazy and, and baffling. And we, um, we like had our own language. So I think that because unfortunately the the house that we were living in and how my mother couldn't really step up and be a mother for her and like, you know, learn how to talk and learn your ABCs and do these things. Like um, my sister and I had like our own language. And when we go into foster care the second time, like no one could understand her, but me. And it's just like this crazy um, dynamic. Cause it's like, she, she needs me to communicate on her behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, so what ended up, um, so at this time your mother's working, you know, mm-hmm. you're helping with the baby and it's still you and your brother, what ended up happening to where you would have to go back to foster care again? Yeah. So I, I there were like two instances. I think that I, I remember so much more because I was a little bit older and our brains are more developed. We can remember these things. And so, um, like one time my mom was like, I can't do this. I remember hearing her. I was, I was in my bedroom and she's like, I just can't do this. I can't do this. And a neighbor was over and, you know, I'm like sitting in my bedroom, just like praying and like crying, reading my Bible. And I'm like, Oh mom, like I'm reading my Bible. And she's like, Oh, that's great. Like having a a mental breakdown. And she ends up like calling the cops on herself. And, um, so the cops come and the ambulance comes and takes her away. And, me, my sister, and my brother are like sitting in the back of a cop car. And then they take us to the local um, police station where we sit for like hours until I luckily remembered my grandparents' number. So they pick us up um, and then we stay with them for, for some time, you know, maybe a week or something, not enough time. My mom needed more help. And then we go back with her. Well, then 
things just continuously got worse. Like she was, I could tell she was on drugs. Um, and during this time, like I, I'm a kid learning about marijuana in school. And, you know, one time we like, my brother was like, oh, you know what this is? And it's like a bag of weed, which I'm like, oh, this is so bad at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she comes back and she's like, what'd you guys do with it? And I thought he threw it away. I don't know what he did with it, but she's like, this is how I deal with you. And then there was another time that um, I think that she was coming off of a high and I was like, um, I wanted to go to the park. And I'm like, like, you're, you're high. Like, you don't care. Like, why can't I go? And I kept asking and she like came in storming into the living room and like shoved my face to the ground. and was like, um, cause I, I couldn't hear her. She's like, would you hear me if I bashed your head into the ground? And it was like, it was so scary. Cause I'm like, I can't believe that she almost did this. Like, and, and so I, I was like bawling and I got up and I just left. Um, and then, it, you know, we went somewhere without electricity. So a lot of these things started like, um, and the electricity part was like baffling. Like that was a humbling, such a humbling moment. And, um, so, so many of these instances started kind of like building up and I'm like, I can't do this. Like, I'm so done. My sister is a child, like a baby at home. And when I'm at school, who's taking care of her? And so I went to my school counselor. I, I was 11 at the time. And I said, I can't go home. I'm afraid my little sister is at home. She's three years old. She cannot be alone with my mother. I don't know what's going on, you know, while I'm at school. And that day changed everything. You know, after school, they, Dyfus came, um, they met with our, our mom and ultimately took us away. And my sister and I stayed together, but my brother was separated due to the gender difference as well as the age difference between him and my younger sister. Wow. And it was just having that, I'm, I'm, I think it's important to note that, you know, you felt safe enough and strong enough to have that conversation with your counselor, because sometimes that's, you know, who you have to lean on when there's no one in your household to talk to about issues and problems. That's why mm-hmm. this, you know, schools, counselors, those people are so important because they're there for that reason. Like, what if, what if you didn't have that counselor to talk to, you know, that's, something that wouldn't have made all of this even worse than what it was. So the counselor, you talked to the counselor and they ended up coming. And so you and your sister stayed together, but your brother had to be separated. Mm-hmm. How was that? That's, that's a lot. I would, so there was, I know it's hard to keep everyone together, but that's still mm-hmm. a lot to know that, you know, my brother isn't with us. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think at this point, a lot of our relationship had changed. And initially it was tough because, you know, as a middle child, I I think I kind of stepped up and I was like, almost like the mothering figure um, to do all of the things to cook, clean, et cetera. Um, But not to have that person because it's like my sister is, is younger than me. So it was definitely difficult to be separated. Um, And, and the foster home that we went into, you know, this is absolutely baffling, but it was literally across the street from my grandparents. Like there was a main street between us and it was across the street. So it was like the, the second foster home was absolutely horrible. Like I hated it. I, the woman was like really just a foul woman. Um, and it, it was an unfortunate situation. Um, and by my grandparents ended up getting like unsupervised visits. So I could kind of go see them but at the end of the day, like sleep at my, my foster home. But this foster home, it was a two bedroom apartment 
there were was me and my sister and then two daughters that were foster children that she had adopted so one of them was the same age as me and then the other one was a a few years older and so it's four children and this adult all in one two-bedroom apartment yeah (laughs) yeah it was absolutely nuts and luckily my sister and I have been so used to like sharing the same bed that we slept in the same bed the daughter that was a similar age to me was slept with her mother. And then I shared a room with the older daughter. Wow. And how long did you guys stay there for a long period of time or? Yeah. So we stayed there. That was my last foster home. So I think we went into foster care like around April and then we were probably there. We were over, over a year, maybe like a year and three months, I think it was. So we were there for a while. Wow. And in in those, it's like, even though you went into foster care, it's like the circumstances weren't as better as they should have been. It was like, there's still stuff missing that you guys needed. Be like being that age, you needed your own room or just your own space to be in or, you know, things that you needed that, that weren't, wasn't provided. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. And, um, the support, you know, it's really sad when, kids have a trauma story and they expect like foster care is supposed to be the safe place and supposed to be like people that have the right mind and are in it for the right reasons. And it's not always the case. And I definitely wasn't um, like, I just felt as though my foster mother was like in it for the money. And there was an instance where they went to Disney and my family was like, I'll pay for Brandy to go with you guys. And they were like, no, and so my sister and I went to a vacation foster home and um, it was a Spanish family, but there were, a, there were a lot of kids in this house. I mean, I, I remember vividly two girls, but I think that they were more children. So they had bunk beds so they could accommodate all of us. And we ended up like, and this family was like super sweet to me. I, I really enjoyed being there. Um, but when we went back to our foster home, I ended up, we got lice from the vacation foster room, which was absolutely a mess. Like it was so bad, like trying to get rid of it was so bad. And my mother had made me a blanket and the foster mom made me throw it away. She was like, no, this is like infested. I'm like, no, you just have to wash it. And luckily I don't even know how I kept this, but my mom gave us these blankets and two teddy bears and I threw away mine, but I think I hid my sister's. And I still have it to this day. I gave it to my sister um, because I wanted her to have something, you know, a part of it. And she still, you know, she recently gave it back to me, which was, you know, really, really awesome to have that piece. Wow. And that was just from a vacation foster home. I didn't even know they had vacation foster homes. So when the foster parents, (laughs) me either, (laughs) when the foster parents want to go on a vacation, they don't take their children. They take, send you to a vacation home. It's like, then when you were saying no stability, it's still like the stability wasn't there. It's still going from one place to another. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And what they, they normally call it respite care. And I, I have now friends that are foster parents and, you know, they would choose, um, I had fellow friends that were their respite care. You know, if they needed to go overnight somewhere, they just needed a break, you know, 
parents need breaks just like anyone else, but they want to go on vacation, full vacations without the kids, but the respite care would be trusted individuals within the community to watch them. But this one, I, I guess they didn't necessarily have that. Um, and so it was just another foster home basically to go to. Wow. And I know you said you guys stayed there for like a year and three months or so. So when you guys left there, how old were you? Did you go to a different foster home or was it time to stop or how did that work? Yeah. So at this time, um, we went into foster care, I believe around April and, um, we were doing visits with my mom. And so there was a visit, we went to a similar park that I would go to when I was growing up and we were there and I, I was like, really seemed like she was kind of off, like something was wrong. And I'm like, whatever, kind of thought nothing of it. And then at this time, like I could call my mom, she had that privilege now and I didn't call. And then we were at the pool because at this point it's July. So we were at the pool with, cause we had a pool at the apartment. So that's what we would do every day while we were in, <laughs> in the summers. It was kind of nice. And um, all of a sudden my foster mom starts crying and she's like losing her marbles. And I'm like, what the heck? And then um, we get picked up and driven to the Department of Youth Family Service, DIFAS. And all of a sudden I walk into this room and it's all of my family, which is like, I'm like, wow, I'm walking into this room for you guys to tell me something, but you guys couldn't step up and like take any of us. Like, that's what I'm thinking in this instance. I'm like, you guys drove all the way up here, like make it make sense, you know? And my grandmother was like, you know, you, you know, your mom is sick and eventually said like that she died. And it's interesting, the verbiage, you know, saying that she was sick, I think, because it's like, what kid can really understand what that means. Mm-hmm. And then that, that really changed a lot. So at this time, um, my brother, he was just, he was kind of, you know, aggressive. He was angry about what had happened. He was angry how my mother treated him, what we had been put through the trauma And so he was just more aggressive. Um, And so the foster home that he was in basically was like, you know, either you um, to his best friend's family was like, either you take him in or he's going to a boy's home. So my brother's best friend's family buy a house to accommodate and take him in, which was really amazing. And at this point, like I had known them, but like, I never went over to their house. They lived literally like on the same street as us, just like up maybe like half a mile, which was crazy. So I like would meet them and say hello, like in passing, but that was it. Mm-hmm. And so at this time, it's like, all right, my mom's dead. Like, where am I going to go? Just wondering where me and my sister would go at this point. Cause my, my brother had a safe home. And so, um, then pops up my dad in this instance, um, as well as we're in parallel going to the home that my brother is in every other weekend. So it's kind of nice. We're seeing them, we're growing a relationship. And so ultimately they didn't have room for both of us, um, which was pretty unfortunate because I grew a bond with them and I'm meeting my father again, you know, for the first time in six years. And um, basically they said, whoever is left in the foster home is who we'll take. And so at this point, my sister's father is also in the picture, but um, luckily they've like they end up stripping him of all of his rights, which like was a, a blessing. And then, so I have to move to Arkansas with my father and, um, I really didn't want to, you know, I, I wasn't positive about it. And 
you know, I, I kind of tried to shift my mindset. I'm like, maybe it'll be good. And, um, and then, so my sister stayed in foster home for a few more months while they kind of fixed, you know, wrapped everything up to get her into this new home, um, with my brother. And then I moved to Arkansas and that's kind of the, where I leave at foster care. Um, and it was really hard to leave my sister, especially knowing that that home wasn't the best. Um, and I, I wasn't there to protect her. So it was really hard. Wow. So at this point, you guys are all kind of split up. You go back with your dad, your sister is still in the foster care system, kind of getting, going to get used to another home, another place to stay. And then your brother is staying um, with a friend, something that actually worked out well for him. Mm-hmm. But so, and then you being there with your dad was, did you stay with your dad all the way up until the end of the end of that care needed? Yeah. So I moved in with him when I was 12. It was like the summer I'd finished up the school year and I really loved the school that I was in. I made friends. I was active. That's how I started to get involved in track and field. I was like a star field hockey player. Um, so it was so sad to, to move away from that community I built. And so I moved in with him um, and his wife and, you know, things started off okay, but then it's like, he was a big biker, a motorcycle biker. So the weekends were him getting blasted, you know, at biker rallies or at the clubhouse drinking and, you know, coming home or, you know, driving drunk with me, which was completely irresponsible. And he really did not take into consideration the trauma I had been put, put through, like, and sometimes he would come home and he'd be like, I remember once I was just doing my hair to like curl it and practice it. And he was like, I want you to feel the pain that your mother put me through. And I'm like, you're the one that left us. Like, that doesn't make any sense, you know? And there were like so many different tangents. And then the next day he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And one time, like another time. So I have two more siblings from him. So I have four total siblings that are older. Um, they're like quite like maybe 10 years older. I, I don't know the exact number than me. And one of them kind of is living with us now with her daughter. Um, and so my father loved to talk about the past when he would get drunk. And one night we're sitting on the porch because that's what you do in Arkansas. You sit on the porch and you let the cars drive by and you just, it's a simple way of living. So he's lit at this point. And I said, I'm not going to speak to you when you're drunk talking about the past. If you want to talk about it, we can talk about it tomorrow. No problem. And he's like, I'm not drunk. And like continuously raises his voice. And I said, okay, I'm leaving. So I just go in, go to take a shower. Well, then I, when I walk out, he's sitting on my bed. And he just continues to ramble on. And I'm like, I'm not talking about this. And like every like sentence he makes, his voice is just like inching up louder and louder. And thank God my cousin walks in and actually it's like the wife of my cousin, that's my stepmom's nephew. But like we grew so close and thank God she walked in and she said, get the F away from her. Like, and I, I think that in that instance, he probably would have hit me um, if she hadn't walked in. And I'm like, you know, thank God. And I'm, so scared. And then I remember just sitting in the fetal position in the bathroom tub, like crying, saying that I wanted my mom. And I'm like, now that I think about that instance, I'm like, there were so many adults in that, that house that day, my stepmother, my, you know, the cousins, et cetera. Like, how did you guys let that happen? Why did you guys continue to let me live in that, that space? And 
in all honesty, he was abusing my stepmother, you know, like, and so when you're in that narcissistic abusive pattern, you don't know that you can get out. And I think I learned that I learned my voice and the power of that the day I walked into my school counselor's office and, and reported what was going on at home. And I, I think from there, I'm like, you know what? I remind myself every day that I would rather use my voice because you know what? If not, if I don't say something um, or when I do say something um, and nothing happens, then okay, nothing happens. But what if something does happen? And what if that's better for me? And as adults, you should be advocating for children that can't protect themselves. Um, and so the, these instances continued and, and I ended up finding out. So, you know, it's 6 p.m. on a Saturday. My father's not home. He's, again, he would drink and go to the bar after work on Saturdays. And all of a sudden my stepmom gets calls from her biker friends. It's like, you know, he's dead. He's alive. You have to get to the hospital. So, and meanwhile, the hospital is 20 minutes from us. So my sister drives the car hundred miles per hour down the interstate, you know, she's panicking. And I'm like, what the F is going on? And they make us walk in it. And they're like, identify the body. And I'm like, I'm a child. I'm 15. Like I should not be seeing a dead body like this. And, um, unfortunately, you know, it was him. He had a, a heart attack while he was on a motorcycle and there was nothing that he could do. He just instantly died on the scene. And again, that kind of, that came to that question of what's going to happen with me. What's going to happen with my life. I've never had it stability and kind of the, the rugs like pulled out from underneath of you. Oh my goodness. That, that is a lot to deal with. And at that time you were only 15. Yeah. So now there's more instability in the situation and it's not stable at all. So what, with your dad gone, do you go somewhere else or can you stay there until you're, is it 16 or 18 is when they can, you know, when you can go to the next phase or how does that work? Yeah. So I, at this point, I stayed living with my stepmom. Um, I, the crazy thing is like my brother, uh, he graduated that year. So it was like, maybe his family could take me in and things didn't work out. So we stayed with living with my stepmom and it was definitely tough. You know, I was mourning. I think she was mourning in her own aspects, but we fought all the time. And I think that, you know, it kind of came to this, like, no one wants me, like I'm too much, you know, I'm arguing with my stepmom and it's like, she makes me feel as though like there's something wrong with me. And I'm like, I'm just a kid that's mourning the death of both of my parents, the instability, not being near my siblings you know, not being near my family. And I just needed love and probably some counseling too. And those just, it wasn't available in that. And then, um, she started dating, you know, soon after my father died and which is, you know what, I I'm glad. I, I think that my father didn't treat her well. And, um, she wanted to move in with him and I'm like, I'm not moving in with him. And so I ended up my senior year because I was 17 when I graduated, I was, you know, four months shy of turning 18. Um, but I, I was always younger, unfortunately. And so I moved in with my best friend's family um, for the last few months of my senior year. And then I graduated high school and went off to Florida for college. And that's really where I saw my life kind of take a, a 180 shift. Wow. So you graduated and now, and it was time, I'm sure you were applying for colleges and things. Did you 
know that you wanted to go to Florida or go to a college that was kind of far away? Cause that's not, you know, it's not up the road, you know, it's not in the same city. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I always knew I wanted to get away from Arkansas. Um, you know, besides my dad's side, I really didn't know. And my friends, I, I didn't have roots there. And my grandparents had recently moved to Florida. So it's like, you know, I've always been close to them. And the whole time I'm in Arkansas every summer, I would fly to Jersey to spend um, the summer there with them. And so I always knew I was going to go to Florida and I was applying to schools, but, you know, I was not the smartest, like at, by any means. And so, you know, my GPA wasn't the best, but I was a student athlete. I was involved in other things that kind of helped me, but I went to a, um, a private school my freshman year because I went to, I applied for UF, University of Florida, which is so hard to get into, but I had no idea, you know, no one was really helping me with the application process. I think my grandparents were so removed from that with the age gap and my stepmom, you know, really didn't, she didn't care. And so um, at this point, I'm like just applying to private schools and I have no concept of money or what this costs or anything. And so, um, but I also wanted to continue track. And so I went to a D2 school and I ended up being a, a shot put in discus and hammer thrower my freshman year. Um, and kind of my, my education was almost my step out because um, I thought about the military, but honestly, I weighed too much. I could not join. And so education was kind of the, the only thing for me because um, I also didn't want to go straight into the workforce. I had already been working at this time, but I just didn't want to do that. And you said college is kind of when there was this, you know, 180. So let's, let's get to the 180 side, the other, the other side of the story. What, what happened in college, you know, to kind of change things up, make things different, give you some of that, you know, stability that you'd never had before. Yeah. So I go to college, I'm a college collegiate athlete, you know, like I'm at a small private school. So collegiate athletes, you know, you're, you're the shit. And so I'm like, I think I'm so cool. You know, I have all this gear, et cetera. And so I, I really use that to really like help me heal because when you're throwing shot put and discus and hammer, like you have to be strong. And so I would think about, you know, things in my childhood right before I'm about to go up to the plate to throw, to like heat me up and like get me riled up to like, you know, put that, those feelings out in the world and get them outside of my body. And um, then I started making my friends and, and turning into who I am as a person and liking and meeting people that love me for me. And I ended up transferring out. I went to a state school because it was far cheaper um, financially. And my sophomore year, I joined a sorority and, you know, it was a, a sisterhood. And, you know, some people say you're paying for your friends and I don't know. I, I should have paid millions for those years I was in my sorority because those years and the women that I met along the way that allowed me to tell my story and to cry and share my story um, and love me, it really built my confidence. And so I actually studied abroad in Italy my sophomore year as well. And I always say it was like my gift to myself for surviving my childhood. And it was amazing. I, you know, went to many different countries in Europe and experienced the, the rich culture there. And um, it was, you know, a, a really sweet moment. I want to go back so bad. And then, um, you know, I go back, I'm in my sorority, I'm in a VP um, position. And then 
I'm like the RA of the house. So like now I don't have to take out as many loans because now it's paying for my housing and my grants are paying for it. Because one thing is that there are, there is financial aid for foster children, but I basically fell through the cracks because my father was who had custody of me. But when he died, really no one figured out like CPS child protective services really didn't figure out that like, oh, she's an orphan. And so I didn't have everything that normal foster children have the opportunity to have to kind of deficit that. And then, you know, I I graduate college. I'm the first generation college graduate and I'm so proud. And I start working at different jobs um, and continuing. And now it's like a shell of like, this is who I am. And I start meeting people. I I joined this church, which it was, ends up being a sad story, but I, I met so many good women there that I think um, the hardest thing of losing your parents and being a foster child and turning to an orphan is that no one stops needing parents. And I think that's a huge like myth of like, oh, you're a teenager or you're an adult, like you don't need a parent anymore. And that's such a lie because I've had to make so many decisions on my own and really learn to trust my intuition um, because I didn't have that wise counsel of parents. And even if they were alive, I, I wouldn't use them as that either, because unfortunately they didn't make the, the best decisions. And so I think that it's been a journey of, you know, unraveling the lies and putting truth and like that self-love of like this, no, like you, just because your parents had struggles, it doesn't mean that you're unlovable or, you know, you are undeserving of love. You do deserve that. They had their problems and that's not a depiction of who I am as a person. And, you know, I I think that once I turned 18, it slowly turned into this um, healing journey. And there have been so many mistakes along the way that I've made, but I think that's life. I think that's the beautiful piece of it. You learn, you know, you learn how you should be treated and people come along and treat you the right way. And you're like, why does this feel weird? You know, I'm, I'm dating, (laughs) I'm dating someone now and we've been together two years and he's from a, a large Puerto Rican family and um, they're really big on family loyalty and love and it was really uncomfortable when I I first met them and they like show so much love and that should feel normal but it felt uncomfortable because my norm was like dysfunctional and angry and, and mean and it's like it's not what it is and you know they're like oh we love you and I'm like oh I send a meme back because I don't know how to react you know it's like are you guys going to leave me just like the other people of, you know, other people that have shown up have, have left me. So it's been a long winded answer to ask like that journey, but I think, you know, healing isn't linear. Um, life isn't linear. You know, sometimes you have these ups and downs and, and that's the beautiful piece of it. That's amazing. I'm so happy that you, you know, came out on the other side. So what, um, when you talk about all of that, I know some of the things that you've mentioned, Um, in the past is the fact that foster care is the percentage of people that actually, you know, come out on the other side from foster care. You don't see that many people do that. So why is it important, you know, for you to kind of, you know, be it, be a influence or someone that other foster care um, people can look up to or talk to about their journey, like to know that it is possible to come out on the other side? Yeah, definitely. I think that it's our stories, like, our stories have power. And I I think we align there because you've made a whole, a whole podcast about that. Right. And so I think that we can utilize our stories 
of power of, you know, a foster child and, and sharing the story now, like social media is so prevalent. Everyone has a phone, everyone has TikTok, Instagram, like they see what's going on. And so we can use those of like an inspirational story. Whereas before it's a lot of books and I, I love books, but it's like these foster children can hopefully connect with my story and, and see it and hear it and say, you know what? She did that. I can do it too. Because sometimes in life, we just need to know that it's possible. I think as foster children, there's so many statistics sent and thrown at you. Like, oh, you're, you're going to be just like your parents. You're going to fall into the same thing. And, and that's not the truth. And I think that you have to let that light in. And I think that sometimes we, we put ourselves in this bubble and we don't let the, the darkness of life or the trauma into our circle, but like, you know, sharing this story and others sharing my story, you know, it can fall on the ears of, you know, we don't always know what people are, are going on in their homes. And I think that it's important to talk about these things and, and share. And I, I've shared my story so many times and the people ask, you know, what's the best thing to do? And I, I'm like, share my, like, share, share this exact story because someone else is going to hear it and then someone else, and it's going to end up on the child that needs to hear it or the person in general. You know, I think that I've learned that, um, our hearts are different. You know, what you're going to go through in life, it's going to be a different hard. Um, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that you're a weaker or stronger person than I am. Um, and I, I really had to learn this for, for my friends, but it's, you know, we can all, we're all running this race together and our endurance and our temperance levels of what we can handle are different. And that's okay. Life is not a competition. We're all just in this together and we're all trying to get through these hard times. And I, I think that's where the, the community aspect and banding together. And if you can get involved or, you know, whatever that, that may be that you should, and it doesn't always have to be, you know, being a foster parent, there's so many different opportunities to really get involved in and advocate for them. I think that is amazing. And I know some people are probably wondering um, about your brother and sister. Are they okay as well? I know having you as a role model and someone to look up to in this circumstance is probably very helpful to them too. Yeah, definitely. So um, they, I, I would say, you know, they're, they're all on our, their own journeys. My sister is doing really good. She's graduating high school this year, which is really exciting. And, um, you know, my, my brother has gone off to the military and, and done his own thing um, after that in, in his own journey. And I think, you know, it's crazy that we all have our own stories and what happened and we were all in the same house but we all three went different directions. And um, sometimes history does repeat itself and, and you can't really do anything about that. I, I think that I've learned to kind of take myself out of there. And so, um, but in those instances, you know, that it, it doesn't, and you hear the, the victory stories, it, it's really special. I definitely agree. Well, I think that was um, pretty much my last question. I think the only other thing that I always ask, which is something that you've kind of already touched on, I always ask at the end, um, why do you think um, it's important for people to share their stories? So not just you, but everyone else out there too that may be listening, why should they, you know, pick up an, uh, their phone, go on a podcast, reply to that email, just get out there and talk about their story? Yeah, I think... Um... I've definitely touched on this and I think our stories have so much power and so many times I've been told, oh, your stories, you know, everyone has a story, Brandy, you know, it's not a big deal. And I realized that the people that were telling me that were the ones that have done me wrong 
or the ones who didn't help when I was in foster care. And just it said that to like, you know what, I went through trauma too, but no, like you should do better and you should share your story because it does have power. And it's like, even if only one person is influenced or empowered or feel put together um, or feel seen, then my job is done and your job is done as well. I think we can grow and motivate each other um, from our stories and understand that, you know what, we can, I can pull up my bootstraps and I can get through this hard season because other people have done it before me. And I'm going to focus on what I've went through in the past to know that every hard thing in life I've overcome because I'm still sitting here. And so are you. And so there's, there's so much power in that. And I, I recently started telling my story on TikTok and it's kind of like, I'm slowly growing. I'm almost at 2000 followers. So I'm pretty pumped, but so many people are like the same thing happened to me. I wish that I would have said something, you know, like the, the story about the counselor. Yeah. Like the stories about CPS. And I'm like, these people are seen and they've been told their whole lives that their story doesn't matter. And it's like, but it does. And that connection and that community is why I think that telling the story is so important because we can connect with one another and it's really beautiful. It is. And I thank you so much for coming on here, joining me, telling your story, you know, empowering others, because this is a topic that needs to be discussed and talked about often. Um, I would love for you to tell people your social media, where can they find you? Where can they follow you? Reach out to you if they would like. Um, So go ahead and you share that with everyone. Yeah. So I I'm prevalent on and more, I post the most on TikTok. So um, my name is just BL Moore. And then my Instagram is just the same new username, BL Moore underscore at the end. So, you know, please feel free to comment, message me, follow me, et cetera. I, I love the support and I'm glad that you all feel connected. Awesome. And make sure you guys follow me, Jayla. You can follow me at Jayla Whitfield TV on Instagram, and you can follow the brand stories that matter on Instagram as well. It's stories that matter dot LLC. And again, thank you again for tuning in and listening. Please make sure you like comment and subscribe, and we hope to see you back for the next episode.